0: So I was worshiping or trying to worship back there the question to the or the answer to the question why is there a tribulation when the church is gone that means the presence of the Holy Spirit is gone and once the presence of the Holy Spirit is gone the Bible says that which restrains evil is gone and so people will see what it's like without the presence of God in the world and they're not going to like it. Which kind of dovetails into our lesson on spiritual gifts. We talked last week, we began a short series. And if you weren't here last week or the week before that, we experienced an example of one of those gifts in our service. And I thought it would, at that time would be a good time to explain why we do that, what we believe, and why we have them today. And what the Bible says about them, and what the Bible says about the usage of them. Now, I'm not going to rehash what we studied last week, but I'm going to recap a little bit and go more in depth on what we did teach previously. Spiritual gifts are the specific God-given abilities, empowerments, and benefits that serve the primary purpose of promoting the spiritual growth and development of the church. That's the official definition of spiritual gifts, and that comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Common good, meant it's meant to bless all of us. When we are talking about the gifts in this chapter, we're talking about the public use of the gifts. There's private use, there's individual use, but this chapter is talking about the corporate setting. How do they apply in a church setting? The common good means it applies to everyone. The gifts are also meant to to operate according to the needs in the church and the spiritual desire of the ones exercising or benefiting from the gifts. In other words, what does God see that each individual church needs and what does God see the desire of the people in the church for the use of those gifts? So we're going to look at both of those instances and the first is the needs in the church. What does God see as a need in this church in particular? All of chapter 13 deals with the right use of these gifts. We use them in love. And it's sandwiched between two chapters dealing with the public use of gifts. And it's meant to show that there is an actual correct way to use these gifts. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1. Now this is funny. We use these as traditionally wedding vows. These are wedding things you hear in weddings. But the true meaning of these verses are used to exercise, how we exercise the gifts of the Spirit. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, in the church setting, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. In other words, each of these gifts is supposed to show the love of God to the church, how God exercises, how God speaks to the church. If God uses someone to prophesy, it should be done from an attitude of love. The message in tongues, if it's a correction or rebuke, again, should be done in love. Now, how many of you have smaller children or had smaller children at one time? When you corrected them, right? You're not supposed to do it in anger. Now, we all mess up in that area. But we're supposed to correct them in love. And you correct them not because you hate them or you enjoy spanking them. You do it because you desire them to become a better person. You desire them not to make the same mistakes you made. You want them to grow up to be better. And that's what God does with us. I remember my dad, when we used to get whoopings, and we got them a lot. (laughs) Because we probably deserved them. But I remember when we would get these, about an hour later, my brother and I, we'd be in bed whimpering and stuff, and he would come in and sit down next to the bed and say, you know, I I hate spanking you guys. I hate it. I love you guys. I I hate correcting you. But I'm doing this because I love you. Now, little console to, you know, 8, 10, 12-year-olds. But now, it's true. When you look at that, you do it because you love your children, not because you hate them. When God uses the gifts for correction, it's because he loves us. He wants us to get to where we need to be. Healings and miracles and words of knowledge and wisdom are all given to us because God loves the church. And he wants to use those to bless them. And when we exercise them, we do it in love, not in a condemning or condemnation kind of way. Our, our parp, we had a wooden big wooden pulpit at our previous church and the pastor put up on a, a lip there, "Satan, in love was a big thing that he had taped in there. Because it's easy to get up there and and pound the pulpit in anger. But everything we do for God should be done in love, whether it's correction or encouragement or rebuke. We do it in love. The next aspect of the spiritual desire is the spiritual desire of the one using or benefiting from them. In other words, do we desire them? Do we want them to be present? 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says, Eagerly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 follow the way of love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In other words, we should want them. We should want them to be present. And we also should check our motive in wanting them. Do we want them for our glory? Do we want them for our prominence? Do we want to know everyone to know that God uses me in the spiritual gift? Now, the Bible talks about someone who wanted to use them because he wanted prominence for himself. In Acts chapter 8, It says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, and here's the reason because your heart is not right with God. God wants us to desire the gifts but only so that we can use them to bring him glory and edification to the church. So as believers, we should, we should want him. We should want God to fill us with those gifts so that we can be used to bless others, not so we can get a pat on the back. And the Bible says, in the, when it says eagerly, it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. We want, to, we want them so we pray for them. We want God to use us. We pray for them and pray that God uses you in this manner. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. So now we come to the two gifts that we did not hit last week. And the ones that are probably the most prominent, the most talked about, the most misunderstood. And they are in verse Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, or verse 10. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues. Always a hot topic on the religious circuit. So we're gonna look at tongues first. Now we said last week that tongues can be a known language, something that you don't know but somebody knows. It's a a recognizable language. Or it can be a language that no one knows. And we get that from 1 Corinthians 13.1. It says again, if I speak in the tongues of men, in other words, a known language, or of angels, an unknown language. So it could be either or. Now, what are they? Well, there's two instances where the Bible talks about speaking in tongues. The first one is personal time with God. When you pray and you have your own devotional life, there is times when you pray, as the Bible calls in the Spirit, or you pray in tongues. Ephesians 6.18 says, And I pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And Jude 20 says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, it involves the human spirit working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God which is in you to pray a prayer that is inspired by God. Now, whenever that happens to me, it's usually because I I can't find significant English words to express what I want to say. And I'll find myself at that point when I I just can't think of something in the English language that codifies what I want to say, the Holy Spirit will start praying through me and I'll start praying in tongues. And the one thing about tongues, and I think Newsweek did a study on this. Not a, you know, not a, yay, we like tongues. It was more about we don't like tongues. But it was, and I've noticed this, as you pray in tongues, it doesn't really involve your mind. Because how many of you pray in tongues and you're thinking about something totally different? You're not you're not thinking about what you're praying. The Holy Spirit's praying through you. And, and the New York Times or you know, Newsweek, one of those magazines said that they did a, a study on someone who did that, and they you know, put those things in their head. And they realized that the tongues had no conjunction with the brain. They were just speaking them without any interaction from the mind. And when the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, that is God praying through you what he wants you to pray. That is personal time. You don't have to do it all the time. A lot of people do, some people don't. It's just when you pray and you really get involved, the Holy Spirit will begin to pray through you. And I, you know, there's days that I don't pray, and there's days that I do. It's just whatever God wants to pray through you. Now, on this, this point, the Spirit is communicating directly to God in prayer, praise, worship, or thanksgiving. That's your personal devotional life. And that's for private usage. This chapter and this verse is dealing about the corporate setting. And the second time that tongues is talked about is in a church setting. Tongues, again, are a God-given sign to be used in conjunction with God to give the gift of what he wants to say through interpretation. Verse 10 says, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues. Both of those are necessary in a corporate setting. When you have your personal life, There's not going to be really much interpretation. But in a corporate setting, there needs to be interpretation of tongues that are present. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, note this, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So his statement about tongues being better or prophecy being better than tongues applies if there is no interpretation. If there is, Both are equal in importance. What's the difference between prophecy and tongues? Prophecy is encouraging. Paul says in that verse, Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Tongues and interpretation, on the other hand, is a message that might contain a revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching, a challenge, a rebuke, a correction, or encouragement from the church. Verse 6 of chapter, chapter 14. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So tongues in a church setting need to have interpretation. Verse 13 says, anyone who has the gift of speaking in tongues should pray also for the gift of interpretation in order to tell people plainly what has been said. God may use the one speaking in tongues. He may use someone else to interpret for you but if there is no if there is no interpretation the person who is speaking needs to remain quiet verse 28 if there is no interpreter the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to god now there could be reasons for that happening that means maybe there is no one there to interpret or maybe someone doesn't want to interpret the bible says we have the ability to say no to the holy spirit If we feel God wants to speak through us, we can just shut our mouth and not say anything. So maybe the person's there, but they're too shy to interpret. They don't want to speak up. Or that the person is just praying his own devotional prayer, but he's praying it out loud for everyone to hear. It's not meant to be a a church setting. And what the author of, you know, what Paul's saying is, if that's you, don't say it publicly, say it quietly. It's, it's your personal time with God. It's not meant for the church setting. That's why he says speak to himself. Now, Paul seems to stay on this subject for a while. In verse 16 says, For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very nicely, no doubt, but it doesn't help the other people present. Why was he kind of camping on that for a bit? Well, in in Corinth, the church, if you read, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was in all kinds of chaos and disarray. They were doing all kinds of goofy things, and Paul had to come in. The letter was basically correcting them on how how they were living, how they were doing church. And what these guys were doing is they were overestimating the gifts of tongues and ignoring all the other gifts. They were speaking in tongues not waiting for the interpretation, they were speaking out of turn, everyone was just speaking whenever they wanted to speak, they enjoyed the tongue part of it, but they didn't care about the interpretation, they didn't care about what was being said, and they were speaking, but it wasn't from God. So Paul had to come in and get kind of correct them and say, look, there's an order to this, and here's how the order is. And they got caught up in just hearing, hearing the tongues, not waiting for interpretation. And Paul's telling them, look, if you're doing that, tongues without interpretation is useless. You're not not doing anything to edify the church if you're only speaking in tongues and not waiting for the interpretation. Now, he was not downing tongues. He's just saying that without the interpretation, what you're doing, why you're doing it. It doesn't help anybody. Because in uh, verse 18 and 19, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's he's cool with tongues. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words that will help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Corinthian church was not waiting for the interpretation and everyone was just speaking out, doing their own thing. There was chaos in the church. And Paul says, you're doing everything out of order, which leads us to this point. The gifts of the spirit can be abused. Verse 29, it says two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. Even when using the gifts, God is still a God of order. How many understand that? There should not be chaos in any church setting. If there is chaos and confusion, you can be sure that God's not a part of that. Paul's saying, look, two people, no more than three, should have any kind of a message in the entire service. And when they speak, there should be time given after they speak for the interpretation and to analyze what the person said. If you hear message after message after message after message and you don't remember any of them and you don't know who said what and was it right, Paul says, look, two people, maybe three, say it, listen for the interpretation, give time for it, and then when that comes, analyze what they said because maybe what they said was not from God so we need to analyze what is said and we need to have time to do that it doesn't help if we hear just one after another with no time to digest any of it and we need to make sure that what is said lines up with Scripture everyone doing their own thing causes confusion and God is not the author of confusion Verse 30 says, And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, their first speaker must stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit, spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And that means when God uses someone in these gifts, the person who's using them still has control of their ability to use them. They don't become robots. They don't become mind-controlled They are being used by God, but they have the ability to do or not do what God asked them to do. And that's another reason why the use of the gifts are not on par with God's Word. Because since we as humans still have control over the situation, what we say may not be perfect. It may contain things that we think, things that we feel, not totally wrong, but not totally all of what God's saying in other words there's always the possibility of human error so we have God's Word we have this why do we need the gifts if everything is sufficiently in God's Word why do we need them why do we need them because God still interacts personally because it's a relationship not a religion If I wrote a love letter to Anna detailing how much I appreciate her but never interacted with her, the letter is sufficient to express my feelings. But if I never talk to her personally, I never interact with her, there's no relationship. It's a letter. God interacts with his people because God is still alive. God's still working in every church, every church that preaches the word. We pray at the beginning up front that God's spirit fills this place because we want God's spirit to have control over the service. We want to do everything that God wants us to do because this is a relationship. What God wants to impart, we want God to do. And we don't want ourselves to stop what God wants to do because God wants that relationship. Now, there is a purpose for tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, It says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? Now that's kind of a confusing verse when I read that. And what it means is when someone who doesn't believe walks in and hears this, the Bible says that means he's going to understand that he is separated from what God is doing. In the book of Isaiah, God was warning the people of the impending conquest by the Assyrians. He's saying, look, you guys aren't repenting. I've given you op- many opportunities to repent and you're not doing it. So I'm telling you the Assyrians are going to come in and conquer you. And when he realizes that no one's listening to him, he gives them this warning. Isaiah 28, says, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues God will speak to his people. And what that means is once they are finally conquered by the Assyrians, they're gonna realize they're conquered by a people whose language they don't understand. And then they're gonna realize now we're separated from God's blessing because now we're amongst people who don't speak our language. Israelites are gonna realize they've been cut off from God's blessing and protection. And tongues are for the ones who still don't believe And it should instill in them the same response, that they are not part of God's family. Now, there's a a saying that people like to say, that everyone's a child of God. How many have heard that expression, said that expression? In creation, that's true. In family, that's not true. The Bible says, as many as receive him, Jesus, those are the ones who gave the authority to call him Father and be called children of God. So if you're not a believer, you are not considered part of God's family. And when you walk into a church setting and you're, you're unique to this and you're not familiar and you hear tongues, you're gonna know that you're not part of this community. And hopefully it, wants, it gets your attention because you now wanna be a part of God's community. And that's why interpretation is necessary because they get no use just from tongues. They said, are you out of your mind? Verse 24 goes on and says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in whilst everyone's prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming God is really among you. One of the big reasons for the gift of tongues and interpretation is so that when someone walks in, whether it's a believer or not, and they hear the tongues and they hear the interpretation, the interpretation is supposed to be something that is so specific to somebody in the church setting that nobody knows, and once that person hears that, they're gonna realize, I didn't tell anybody that. God has gotta be telling me this, because this person who I don't know, who I've never met, who knows nothing about me, is speaking directly into my life. He is saying something that only applies to me, so specific that he's talking to me. And that's why the Bible says, he's going to realize it must be God. It must be God. And they will be convicted because they realize that only God is the one who can reveal this stuff. The first time I heard it in the service, I thought people were crazy. But then, even before I was saved, they were teaching about it. And so I understood why they do it. Now, I never had it personally speak to me but I know folks in my old church that did have it speak to them. Specific things in their life that nobody knew except them and God basically called them out. That's the purpose. And it may be for Christians, as we heard two weeks ago, maybe God needs to speak to us in a way that only addresses us, that we as a church need to understand. Now, here's a verse for you. I didn't write this. Verse 33. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for women to speak in the church. I didn't write it. Should I just let it go at that, or should I explain the context behind that? <laughs> explain why, it, okay. We need to remember when this was being written. This was not being written to 2021 people. It was being written to Bible times people. And as such, we need to understand this in the light of the social order and the cultural issues of that particular time. When missionaries go to different countries, they do not try to make them into 2021 Americans. They use the culture and the customs and use those to bring the gospel in. And so they don't don't come in and present themselves as 21st century Americans. This is how we're going to do it. They use the culture to bring in Christ, which is what Paul was doing. Now, let me finish what I'm saying before I hear gasps. We know that in these times, women were not educated. I didn't say they weren't smart. I said they didn't have any formal education. And Christianity in spite of what people say is the only religion that actually elevated women. They became equals with men. Because up to that point, women were basically property. Jesus ended all of that. Galatians 3.28 says, for there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God judges people equally. Color, race, gender, all equal in God's eyes. So this verse is not a slam to women, but an acknowledgement of what was happening in society at that point. Since women did not have any formal education and they did not have any training in spiritual matters, they would naturally want to know what's going on. They would hear tongues and they would say, hey, what's going on? And what they were doing is they would ask their husbands the questions in the middle of what was going on, in the middle of tongues, middle of interpretation, or waiting for the interpretation, they would speak up saying, hey, what's going on? What, I don't understand this. And so Paul's saying, look, just don't interrupt the service. Your husbands or somebody will explain it to you later, don't use this as a time to interrupt what's going on. He wasn't forbidding the use of gift by women because his comments in other portions of the Bible have said everyone, not just men. 1 Corinthians 23, it's 14.23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, it didn't say men, it says everyone. 1 Corinthians 14.24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying. 1 Corinthians eleven five 5, it says, and every woman who prays or prophesies. It wasn't, wasn't saying the woman can't do this. It was just Paul saying, look, don't let the enemy use this to interrupt what's going on because the enemy will want to do anything he can to stop and interrupt what God wants to accomplish. And if it's a distraction, it's easy to stop what's God's, what God's doing when I pray I come in the sanctuary I leave my phone out there I don't because invariably somebody calls somebody texts, and kind of breaks my train of thought and not that they're bad it's just you know God wants to accomplish something that means we must be quiet and let God do it and if we're trying to let things interrupt them then God's gonna get stalled This chapter is not meant as a restriction, but as of one keeping order in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. God's a God of order. and And his services, when they employ the gifts of the Spirit, is also done in an orderly fashion. Anything that's out of order causes confusion is not from the Holy Spirit because God wants to accomplish something and if there's confusion we're not listening and we're distracted God wants the services to be in order the gifts are for today they're for our instruction or correction or rebuke whatever but it's done in a way that you don't want to be interrupted while God's doing you even though we have a schedule of what we want to do through the service we're always open to what God wants to do and if God starts to say something, that means i got to shut up. Because God wants to say something. Now, we began with this verse last week. First Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So hopefully, as we mentioned, this was not an exhaustive study on the gifts. But we know something about them. But the next thing God tells us to do with the gifts, as we mentioned earlier... Is eagerly desire them. In other words, we want them. We want them to be used in our lives personally, and we want them to be used in our church. And since it says we are desire to desire them, that means we have to put action to words. First, first Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Now you are all the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part of it. And in the church, God has anointed first of all apostles. Prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing, able to help others, gifts of administration, speaking in tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. The answer to all of those is no. Not everyone has every gift. But he ends that with saying, eagerly desire, the greater gifts. He mentions it twice. God clearly decides who gets which gift. But our job is to pray and seek and ask God for them. Why? For the common good. For our church. So that people know that God is here. I I said earlier, a week or so ago, if, if the Holy Spirit left our service, would we know? would we realize that he wasn't here? We pass out those tracts and things throughout the community to let people know we're here. But there's no greater testimony to God's power than word of mouth. How many of you went to or were part of the Brownsville thing a decade or so ago? I guess it's been two decades now why did people go to that because they were talking to John Kilpatrick on the phone no they heard that God was doing something and they went we want the community to know that God is doing something here in our little church that God is doing something going back to what we heard two weeks ago are you satisfied in the desert are you satisfied with the way things are no water in the desert are we satisfied as we mentioned before water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit are you satisfied with having no Holy Spirit I think what we heard a couple of weeks ago was a call for this church, not for every church, but for this church, to not be satisfied where we are. It's easy to get complacent. Things are going well. The bills are paid. Lights are on. Everything's good. But we can't get complacent where we are. We need to be revived. We need to want more of what God has already promised to give us. And I think now is the time to seek God for what God already promised he's going to pour out on his church. Father Phyllis, your word tells us to continue to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We need your power to live this life. We need your power to be your witnesses. We need you, Father, every moment of every day. And I pray you would fill us and allow us to be used by you for your glory. Lord, fill us. Anoint us. Send us out, Lord. You told the apostles to wait for the gift of the Spirit. Lord, we have that gift now. So Lord, send us out fully equipped with your power and anointing to have it make a difference in this area, in this community. Lord, we pray for those around us, Lord, who don't know you, that God, they would see the love of God in each one of us as we do our daily, daily work. Use us, Lord, as your witnesses. And let people come to us, Lord. Let us have divine appointments. Lord, it's one thing to be worshiping you here, Lord, and it's necessary. But God, we need to be out there worshiping you in the way we live our lives ministering to the people we come in contact with give us those opportunities Lord give us words to say and allow the Holy Spirit to control those conversations let people come to know you Lord before it's too late fill us and use us Lord so that when our time is over we will have done all that we can do. Lord, I commit this church to you. Fill us, use us, bring glory to the name of Christ. Let many souls come to know you, Jesus, before your return. Lord, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. And all the God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. Let me know of what God's doing in your life. People want to hear testimonies of God's power.